Hey everyone, my name is Jason Parker, and I want to welcome you to the Coastal Church Podcast. I'm super excited for you to hear this message. We believe that God wants to speak to us, and we hope that you're open to hear what He has to say to you today. Enjoy. James chapter 5, verses 13 to 20. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Amen. You can all grab a seat. Would you pray with me? Father dear, we're about to jump into a passage of scripture that has so much hope, uh, some confusion, but Lord, ultimately there's incredible means of grace that you provide for us, Lord. So Lord, as we jump into this passage of scripture, would you set the stage for what your Holy Spirit wants to do in this room? God, we love you and we welcome you in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. So here we are. We're at the end of the book of James. And uh, we've worked through what a lot of people would call a challenging book, a very black and white book, a book that's very direct to the point, and at times harsh, um, very full of truth. But we're kind of landing the plane here on the book of James tonight. And One of the things that's interesting about the book of James is he is very black and white. He is very truthful. But in this last chapter of scripture, in chapter five in particular, this week and last week, you really get to start to see the heart of Pastor James. James is is a pastor. He's a pastor of the church in Jerusalem, and he's writing to these Jewish Christians that are spread abroad everywhere. And James is writing here in this last chapter, and it, it doesn't feel blunt and direct it feels very pastoral, very much like he's caring for these, for these saints that are going through all kinds of hardship and affliction. And so that's kind of the tone of this particular passage of Scripture. Now, what I'd like for us to do tonight is I'd like for us to, I'm going to summarize what's happening here in this passage of Scripture. And there's three things that James describes for us of what the Christian church is supposed to be like And so I want to summarize the passage of Scripture, work through the text, and then after that, I'd like to to kind of point out how we are supposed to be the church. Does that sound okay to y'all? I know you guys don't really get a vote, but I want you guys to be along for the journey, okay? Is that cool? So let's uh, let's kind of dive into this passage of Scripture. First off, this passage of Scripture, James chapter 5, 13 to 20, In the verses that we have here, in these eight verses, 
The word prayer is used, you know how many times? Eight times. The word prayer is used eight times in eight verses. And the only verses the word prayer doesn't show up is actually in the last two verses at the bottom of the passage. So bottom line about this passage of scripture, this passage of scripture is all about prayer. Amen? Can you all say prayer with me? Prayer. Prayer. There we go. This is what the scripture says. Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is any, anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. So this first section, this first path to the scripture, it basically gives us three different situations and scenarios. You have the first situation where it talks about suffering. Is any of you among you suffering? And James' instruction for if you're here and you are suffering, James' instruction is to do what? Pray. And it actually is a pivot or a hinge back to last week's message, because last week's message was all about what? Suffering. And so James is saying to the people that he's writing to that spread out all over the world at the time that he's writing this letter to, he's saying, for all of you that are suffering adversity right now, the thing you ought to do right now is to do what? It's to pray. Are you suffering? The, the direction is to pray. The second thing is, are you cheerful? Then you should sing songs of praise. You, if you're cheerful, you should praise. Did you know that praising God is actually a form of prayer? Y'all know when you were just singing the last three songs? Did y'all know that you were praying? Because the songs we sing in worship are actually prayers to God. And so if you're cheerful, if you're on the mountaintop, then the command from James is you still got to pray. It's just, it's not prayer and supplication and asking God to help. It's in the form of prayers and prayer, praise and worship to God. It's celebratory. It's praising God. So that's the second situation. The third situation is if you are sick, you should call for the elders of the church and they should do what? Pray. Here we go. It's all about prayer. And so it's fascinating to me because those of you sitting in this room today, you could be on the mountaintop. You could be the cheerful category that James is talking about, but the person sitting on your left and the person sitting on your right could be in the valley with sickness or suffering. But James' direction, despite any of those three situations, is to pray. Whatever situation you find yourself in, it's to pray. James gives some, a little bit more detail he drills down a little bit more on this whole aspect of healing. And I believe, we believe that God is a God who heals. Amen? Amen. Now, James gives some practical instructions of what we ought to do, but he also commands us to, to pray in faith. And I believe in a God who heals, and I've experienced that in my own life and in, in, in the life of my marriage. And God has done some really, really cool things as it relates to healing but there's lots of times I've prayed when, for whatever reason, God in his wisdom and providence doesn't heal. And there's lots of different variables as to why God doesn't or does not heal. And maybe this is a bit of a cop-out, but I, I tend to approach healing with childlike faith. And 
my responsibility is to pray and to believe God with faith like a child, and I leave the results up to him. I let God figure out why or why not, but I trust him through that process. And so there's situations where people are suffering. He says to pray. We're cheerful. It's to praise slash pray. There's opportunities if you're sick to pray for healing. There's also like a little, a fourth aspect, a fourth scenario here that's maybe a little bit more hidden in the passage of Scripture. The Scripture says this. It says, therefore, this is right after it asks for prayer for healing. It says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So there's this connection between praying for healing and confession of sin. And it's interesting because when you look at the life and miracles of Jesus and the life and miracles that were produced by the Holy Spirit through the disciples, oftentimes when people did miracles, God's presence obviously would show up in a very profound and sacred way, and often it would lead people to confess their sin. Think for a moment when Jesus was in the boat with Peter and he did a miracle, Peter's first response was to fall on his knees and he was so incredibly aware of how unworthy and broken he was because he knew he was in the presence of God. And oftentimes when we experience God working in our lives in a supernatural way, our response to the sacred presence of God is to be keenly aware of how human we are, right? And we're saying, God, how many of us have said this before, when we really feel and sense God working in our lives in a profound way, and maybe it's not in the explosive fireworks spectacular, but you just sense the presence of God working in your life in a way that you know is not human, and you just get this feeling of, God, I don't really deserve this. Man, like I don't deserve you to work in my life in such a way. It kind of reminds us of our brokenness, and that's what happens when God's presence shows up in our lives. We're like, man, God, like, I can see and feel you working, but I don't deserve it. And when God's presence shows up, it makes us keenly aware of our own brokenness and brings us to the point where we confess, where we confess our sins to one another and pray for one another so that we may be healed, experiencing the holistic healing, not just physical healing. How many of God wants to heal more than just your sickness? That God wants to heal your broken spirit. He wants to heal your emotions. He wants to heal your mind. God is our healer, and he wants to fully, holistically heal us, and he has the power to do that. Now, I will say this. There's times when you ask God to heal, like Paul did with the thorn of his flesh, whatever that was, and the Lord's like, no, my power is made perfect in your weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. And so I'm not one of these people that believe 100% all the time. God in his wisdom. The apostle Paul himself, who wrote 13 letters of scripture, the Lord was like, no. God in his wisdom knows what to do and how to help us mature in our faith. And really, that's what Pastor James here is really all about with these Jewish Christians. He is trying to get them to mature in their faith and he uses a particular example that really would have hit home to a Jewish person. You ever like be around someone and they like to name drop someone? Well, when James at the end of his letter here in James chapter 5, when he name drops Elijah, all the Jewish people would be like, what? He's like the boom. He's like the Taylor Swift 
of the Jewish people, you know what I'm saying? Like, he's like, there, Elijah. And James is just trying to explain to them. He's like, you know that guy, Elijah, who you guys idolize as a Jewish person? James is trying to say, he was just like a dude like you or me. And yet, he said, the scripture says, he prayed fervently for it not to rain, and it didn't rain. Then he prayed again that it would rain, and the heaven gave rain. See, James is wanting the Jewish Christians to mature and grow in their faith. And maturity doesn't happen like this. Pastor James wants to shepherd his people and help them grow and develop and mature. And that's a, that's a process. And then it's so interesting, James ends his letter very abruptly, almost like a mic drop moment. The last, and I don't know if James does this to like emphasize what he wants his parting words to be, but the very last thing that James says in this passage of scripture is to look after those that have wandered away from the truth. You and I all know people who at one point in time experienced Jesus, had a real genuine encounter, and right now, for lots of different reasons, they're not following Christ. Well, James ends his letter to these Jewish Christians spread abroad to saying, it's part of your spiritual responsibility to go seek these people out. And as a result, there's actually a reward. The reward is, is that you actually save that person's soul from death and you cover a multitude of sins. That's what the scripture teaches. And so that's kind of what, how James ends his letter here in James chapter 5. Y'all good so far? So based on that passage of scripture, there's three things that I want to say about characteristics of the Christian church. These are things that the church, it ought to be part of the church's DNA, part of who we are. So y'all ready for these three? The first thing is that the Christian church is a praying church. The Christian church is a praying church. And sometimes these prayers are prayers of praise, like we just sang about. Sometimes these are prayers of suffering. Sometimes it's prayers on the mountaintop, and sometimes it's prayers in the valley. How many of us in this room have prayed prayers on the mountaintops? And how many have prayed prayers in the valley? Amen. And everything in between. Because that's how our life goes. And God's command to us from James is to pray. Pray on the mountain and pray in the valley. And I'm reminded, this is just a funny little story, but how many of you in this room, when you have a man cold or a woman cold or whatever you want to call it, you ask God to heal you. All right? Am I one of the only ones? Honest to goodness, I do. I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, will you please take away this sore throat and this runny nose? Like, I know I'm being, I got a man cold, I know. And I'm a wimp when I'm sick. My wife knows it. But Lord, would you please take this away? But do you ever wonder how many times, like how many times after we ask God to do something like that, do we forget after we feel better? Wake up the next morning, stretch. Oh man, I feel so much good. I feel so good. And then we forget to thank God. I know that's a silly illustration, but I wanted to drive home a point because it's something I've actually do. 
I forget. I forget to go back and praise God. It's like the 10 people that were healed by Jesus. How many people went back and actually thanked Jesus? One. Man. And we do this all the time when we pray through a difficult, difficult season. God brings us through. He provides all these means of grace for us to get through each, every trial and everything we're facing with. And then once we get through it, we're doing good and we forget to go back and say, God, I am just so thankful to you that you saved me and delivered me. And it's easy on the mountaintop to forget and bless God. And as we're going through valleys, we acknowledge that God cares for us, but God also cares for how we care about him as we go through the valley. Amen? And so we got to care for God as well, not that he needs it, but because he deserves it. He's worthy of it. How often do you pray with thanks and appreciation? Just that. If you looked at my prayer journal, it's got a whole lot of asking. And sometimes the asking is like this, and the thanking is like this. And I'm like, oh, man, Lord. And so I pray this in my prayer journal. Lord, help me not to seek your hand, but your face. Because so often we can seek God in prayer and ask him and ask him and ask him. But how often we just actually seek God for him and express our love and adoration and thanks and appreciation to him. Or how often do we direct our praise, if we're cheerful, or our complaints, how often do we direct them first to social media? And sometimes I wonder if most of the stuff that we process out loud with relationships and on social media, I wonder if most of it is actually supposed to go this way first, if at all. And sometimes our complaints come out this way when it's actually supposed to come out this way. Am I making sense here tonight? Is anyone tracking? Here's a, the sense I got is I think gossip is often just a neglected prayer life. The stuff that we get out here, frustrations that we're suffering with in relationships, I think that stuff's actually supposed to come out to God. But because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, it's going to come out somewhere, right? And so if we're suffering with something, we tend to do this way when the person that actually can hear and do something about our situation is not this way. It's this way. And so we pray prayers of praise and suffering, but there's also something in this passage of Scripture. There's actually prayers of leadership here in this passage of Scripture as it calls for the elders of the church. And it's not just for pastors. It's for spiritual leaders of the church, for board members and elders and people that, and it's less about gifting. It's more about people stepping into spiritual authority. And it's in this passage of scripture, these people are called to pray people, pray for people that are sick. And there's a call here for leaders to, to step up. It has less to do with position or power and more to do with stepping into spiritual leadership. You know, people that crave position and powers, that want it for pride, God's like, whoa. And so there's those people that crave position and power, and, and oftentimes 
if we crave that stuff, God has to humble us. There's those kinds of people, but there's also another group of people that God is genuinely called to be spiritual leaders without a position or a title, but there's this reluctance and passivity to it. And I think there's lots of different reasons why that happens, why we're reluctant to pray and be the spiritual leaders God's calling us to be. I think sometimes we feel like, I don't have enough faith for praying for healing. I maybe, I don't have my own spiritual life straightened enough, straightened out enough to be a spiritual leader. Or here's one I think that really hits our community. I don't want to stand out as a spiritual leader in our community. Because standing out doesn't seem like it's a good thing. I don't want to carry spiritual responsibility. I don't want to carry that weight. Or maybe it's, I don't have the time and, atten- time and attention to give to spiritual matters of the church. Well, let me just ask you a question. What's more important than spiritually leading and serving the church? If your response is, I don't have time, or I don't have enough energy or focus, maybe the Lord wants to adjust your priorities to make his kingdom number one. Listen, I've been burdened by this. There are tons of spiritual newborn children in our church, and I praise God for that, amen? But you know what spiritual newborn children need? They need spiritual moms and spiritual dads to help care for them, to help shepherd them, most importantly, to pray for them. And not just the prayer emoji. Like actually praying for them. Actually caring for their soul. And you don't get to like start a new ministry. You don't get to sign up at the bar. You know what you got to do to be a spiritual dad and spiritual mom if you've been walking with Jesus long enough? You know what you got to do is you got to find these spiritual children and you need to pray for them. You need to love them and you need to spend time with them. We need spiritual mothers and fathers in this church to rise up and be the spiritual mom and dads they're called to be. This church needs it, amen? Because ultimately, we're called to pray for one another, the scripture says. There's prayers for one another. That's what the scripture says. It says, confess your sins to one another and what? Pray for one another so that you may be healed. How many of y'all want healing? I know I do. You know how scripture commands us to receive the healing God wants to give our minds, our bodies, our spirits. You know how God prescribes healing? It's for us to pray for one another. That's how you and I experience healing. It's prayers of the body. Paul uses this language all the time. Do me a favor here tonight. I want you to look around at each other for a second. Like, look around. Look around the room. One another. If God has called you to be here, to be part of our family at Coastal, we're more than just attending church on Sunday. We are called to be a family and a body that loves one another. Now, your one another might only be two or three people in this church that you lean on, that you are open with, that you kind of share with, but... Who are your two or three? Who is your one another that's praying for you? So the Christian church is a praying church. Can you say praying church? 
The Christian church is a confessing church. This is probably the least practiced spiritual discipline maybe in the church today. How many of you in Carter read about confess your sins to one another and pray for one another? You're like, nope. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Y'all are laughing. Because it's true. It's like, yeah, I'll do all the other things, Lord. I'll do up a care basket. I'll make supper for someone. Hey, I might even take someone for a coffee. Lord, I'll do those things, but confess my sins to one another. Nope. Because there's a real vulnerability that comes. And we live in a small town, right? We live in a small community. And how many know gossip is an issue in our community? And so this idea of us opening up and being vulnerable with someone, there's this absence of trust that we all have. And you've had experiences maybe where you told someone a secret or something as a trust, and it got spread, and so you've put all the walls up. Man, you are locked up tighter than Fort Knox. Everything in here, it's under lock and key, and none of it's coming out. Problem is, is you'll never get healed that way, ever. Because Scripture provides the pathway for healing, and the pathway for healing is actually confessing your sins to one another and praying for one another. And we've all been in wrong rooms where someone gets up and confesses something that is totally inappropriate. There's right spaces for confession. There's right spaces for that to happen, and there's something amazing that can happen when we begin to do that. Often it's just with one or two, by yourself, in an environment of trust, where the other person loves you unconditionally. And it's not to all, and it's not flippantly, it's not recklessly. It's just us humbling ourselves and letting the light in and being open with another person, particularly of the same gender. Just being honest about our struggles. The Bible says, confess your sins to one another. It doesn't have to be me, your pastor, or Alex or James. You can confess your sins to one another. I'm happy to serve you that way, but you don't need me to do that. The scripture says to one another, it's learning how to be the body, to be the family together. Like, this is one hits home for me, guys. I can't even begin to tell you how much of an impact it had on me when as a brand new Christian, I had two spiritual fathers in my life and they taught me this scripture and I began to open up with them and confess all my secrets and all the stuff in my life that I'd done as a teenager. We've all been through it. But I can't even begin to tell you the impact and the catalyst it was for transformation in my own life when I was able to not just confess it to God, but confess it to someone else. And they looked me in the eyes with unconditional love and shared the gospel with me and said, Jason, because of the grace of God, you've been forgiven. That's your new identity. And I knew that I was forgiven. They weren't, they weren't absolving me of my sin. They, don't have the, they wouldn't have the power to say that my sin was forgiven. God's already done that. But how many of you know we need people to look us in the eyes and love us unconditionally even through our sin? Amen? And man, oh man, I can't even begin to tell you the healing I experienced in my own life when I confessed and they shared the gospel with me and they prayed over me and I just felt like that sin was gone. Because when you confess to one another, here's what happens. 
the power of shame and guilt is broken off your life. Those lies that keep you bound in darkness that roll around in your head over and over and over again about your past, when you open up and let the light shine in and confess your sin, it breaks the power of the accuser accusing you and holding you captive with shame and guilt. That's why the scripture says to confess so you can receive the healing that God is offering to you. And if you're someone, if you're one of these spiritual moms and spiritual dads, you're probably going to hear that a lot. You're probably going to be hear people open and honest about their struggles with you. And that's good. That needs to happen. We need that. But here's the posture we need to have. We need to be humble. We need to love people unconditionally. We need to be gracious, but we also need to be able to speak the truth and love to people. We need to call people to the life of Jesus. But we also need to share the gospel with them, that there's grace, that there's forgiveness. And so I encourage you, spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers, have that kind of posture with those that are being open with you. So the Christian church is a praying church. The Christian church is a confessing church. Lord, help us work on that one, amen? And I would just add this. I want you to experience the healing that God has for each and every one of you. Because it's amazing. And so, I encourage you, make the risk, the spirit-led risk, to begin to open with someone. Because God wants to take you on a pathway of, of healing. The third thing is the Christian church is a risking church. I invite the worship team to come at this time. Prayer is a risk. I've prayed for a lot of people for healing. You know, sometimes God hasn't healed. And so you have that question happens when you like, you feel led to pray for someone and you're like, man, I don't know. Lord, are you gonna, are you gonna show up? What if I pray and it doesn't happen? What about that person, Lord? How are they gonna respond or react? How is it gonna hurt them? Or what if I come up for prayer tonight, I make the risk and I stand up from my seat and I come up for prayer tonight and nothing happens. I don't sense the Lord or I still struggle with that issue, that addiction. The Christian church is a risking church. It's, it's a step of faith. You know, confession. Confession is a risk. Vulnerability is a risk. Putting it all on the table. What if I go up and share with someone and I just melt? I don't want to be that vulnerable, Lord. Man, I've been hurt before. Can I really trust that person? Can I really let someone else into my life? It's a risk. Seeking the wanderer is a risk. Man, if I spend all this energy and effort, what if I go after this person and invite them back to church and they just stonewall me? There's a risk. We might get rejected. What if I get rejected? What if they don't respond well? You see, we're called to be the community of faith. You know that saying where it says, mind your own business? Well, as Christians, we're actually not called to mind our own business. <laughs> we actually are called to care for each other to really care how each other's doing. 
You and Jesus have a personal, but it's not a private journey. We're on this journey together, and we're called to care for one another. Amen? And so this is what we're going to do to land the plane. Some of us in here tonight are suffering. Could be mental, could be relational, could be emotional. You need prayer. We're going to turn this time of the service into a time of prayer. And we're going to have two sections tonight. And we just believe the Lord wants to bless people tonight and help people tonight. So I'm going to invite our prayer people to come on up at this time. And we're going to linger. We're not in any rush here tonight. If you're here tonight and you're suffering and you need prayer, we're going to take the time to pray because we're not in a rush here tonight. If you're here tonight and you need healing and you want someone to anoint you with oil, there's some spiritual leaders up here tonight and we're going to pray and we're going to ask God to touch your body, whatever that might be. If you're here tonight and maybe you're struggling with something or something you need to get off your chest and you need to confess to someone, maybe it's in this room, but maybe it's in another room. Maybe it's with someone else that you trust deeply. But if you want to come up tonight in prayer for that, whether it's courage to say that thing or to be open in this room tonight, we're going to give an opportunity to do that. And some of you tonight are feeling convicted. You need to step up and start caring and being a spiritual mom and spiritual dad to some people in this room. And maybe that's your response. Or maybe you're here tonight and you've never accepted Jesus and you want to make tonight that decision where you receive Christ into your life. Whatever your need is tonight, we're going to pray. And so James is going to lead us in a song called, Oh, Come to the Altar. I'm going to pray for us here in a moment. But I just encourage you, don't wait. If you have a prayer, need prayer for anything, we're going to pray for you all. Would you stand to your feet? Father dear, thanks for tonight. Thanks for the ministry of your spirit. God, would you move in this place in a profound, supernatural way? Do what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. We really hope that this message has motivated you to go deeper in your relationship with Jesus and has inspired you to join us in our mission to take Jesus into every community of Southwest Nova. If you have any questions about the sermon, if you want to know how you can get involved, send us an email at office at coastalchurchns.com. We'd love to get connected with you. Have a great day.